following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Basically, we're going to, again, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of the different opinions as to what happens when you have a contradiction or a seemingly, con seemingly contradiction between, not the Torah, we're leaving the Torah out of this, between Gemara, the Talmud, Chazal, as we call them, which is an acronym, and that's the, the word of this book, Chazal, which is an acronym for Chachomeinu uh, Zechel Avracha, our sages of blessed memory. Chazal, that's what the word Chazal stands for. Chachomeinu Zechel Avracha, so meaning, which is the authors of the Talmud, that's how they refer to as Chazal. You heard that term before? Yes, Chazal. I heard the term, I didn't know what it meant. Chazal, Chachomeinu Zechel Avracha. So, uh, basically, the question is, when they state something, which interpreting a law or even a rabbinic law which seems seemingly on the surface to contradict contemporary science how do we view that and how do we deal with it okay so there, there's at least uh, three or four opinions in the early authorities it's not a new question it's something that was dealt with throughout the ages so um, we're going to start with actually a very, the simplest version here and this is very, very relevant, as we're going to discuss in the coming weeks, to medicine, because we have much medicine throughout the Talmud, and the question is, how do we deal with that medicine? But the prime example I just found, uh, I just saw yesterday, there's an interesting Gemara, it's quoted here um, on your sheet, but, uh, in number seven, but before the Tosafot, who is an early authority, the Gemara says like this, let's read you the Gemara. The Gemara in Chulim, in Moed Katan, says, um, He's quoting fishermen, which is interesting. But Kamara seems to accept it. A medical fact. Fisherman, fisherman. Like oh, fisherman, fisherman. not a person fisherman. Yes. Um, it says like this. Um, so, rah, rah. <coughs> so Rav, Rav just made a statement. Um, in, in connection with eating fish. Rav says like this, Adda the fisherman, Amali Adda Tzayda, Adda the fisherman told me that Kivra Samach L'Misrechei Mali, fish is best when it's about to putrefy. Right before it gets spoiled, that's when fish is best. Okay. Um, and then it goes on to say, um, the helpful way to eat fish. So anyway, Tosfos is bothered by this statement. A very simple statement. A Tosfos... Did you say healthiest or tastiest? Serious. It says, yes. just says the best. Mali, the best. Mala, like the best way to eat fish is right before it's spoiled. It's That's the best tastiest. time. What? Probably tastiest. Right, could be. I but the point is, is, he's saying the best. It's not clear if it's a health statement. Let's see if Rashi explains it here. Um, fish is good, but the best. Good so, God. I don't know. Um, it doesn't work in my family. He's saying it's best. Rashi just explained the fact is it's best to eat the fish right before it spoils than when it's caught fresh. Fresh fish, no good. Putrefied fish or... Not quite putrefied. Almost putrefied fish, that's much better. So Tosus is bothered by this. Not when it seems like Tosus is understanding this as a health issue, not as a taste issue. So Tosus says... And that's what's quoted here, number seven. Kivra samachu misrechei mali. I'm going to read you the Hebrew, but you can read it here along in the English. This is in the Talmud. It says, "Bizman azeh tofsim sakana lemechel." Samachu misrechei. He says, "In today's day and age, we know it's dangerous to eat putrefied fish. Um, it's not healthy." 
So, so how could Tos is trying to reconcile that with the statement in the Gemara that says it seems to be the best time to eat it? So he says, in these days, scientists tell us, doctors tell us, uh, eating fish close to spoiling point is a, is a danger to you. Maybe somebody was in the fish business and they wanted to get rid of all the fish. It was. The quote is from a fisherman, actually. But, uh, but it says, vegan. Um, uh, also from in the name he says later on the Mali that it's better so Tosis gives three answers here all very relevant to general maybe contradiction between science and the Talmud Tosis says number one is it might have changed just like medical medicine from the times of the Talmud he says just like as you know there are many medical aspects in the Talmud that today we see has changed. Medicine has, has evolved or has changed, depends how you want to look at it. For the worse or for the better, depends which side of the camp you're on. Right, so he says, Just like healing that we find in the Talmud has changed over the years to current times. So maybe this concept, this somehow, this is a concept known as Nishtanu Ateva. We see nature changes um, throughout the years. There are things that natural facts that might have existed a thousand years ago, a hundred years that? ago. Tosfos. Medieval, nature, uh, by, by definition, doesn't Italian. change. What? We learn that nature does not change. Yeah, but there are some things that for whatever reason we yeah, see species, have changed over the years. Species come and go. I mean, it could have been a species of things fish. Things come and go, but the nature, the natural... But there could have been some fish that actually was better. Well, was, so we'll talk. That's one of his answers. Mm -hmm. It's a different answer. So this answer is just saying there's a concept which is an interesting concept. <coughs> you find this as a, some, most times as a last resort in halacha, that we see something is very different than from the times of the Talmud, so we'll use this as a last resort. Nishtano Ateva. Um, the nature has changed. For example, I'll give you some examples of that, which we discussed here in the past at detail, but maybe we'll revisit them. One is um, um, women's cycles. The Talmud says, for example, uh, in those days, in the days of the Talmud at least, every woman had a set day and even to the hour that they had their cycle. Um, today, clearly, and we have a... Varies. Meaning there's no such thing. Um, very few women have that uh, that meaning the Talmud says chazaka, meaning so much so that if a woman had her cycle at this hour, this day last month, the next month on that day she can't have a relation with her husband because she might. The assumption is she's going to get it on the same day, and that was a given empirical fact that they saw really in, in most women. It's, it's the understanding of nature that changes, not nature. Is what yeah, but in this case, it's not. I mean, it's it's nature because. Women's period seems to have changed over, no, over the years. No, we still call it a menstrual cycle. cycle yeah. Of course, but it's, it can vary from five to ten days of when she sees her cycle. Yeah, but not, not in each woman. You, some women have cycles like... There's very few women, from what I understand, who have it on the same exact day anymore. In Europe, by the way, in Eastern Europe, I've read there are studies that say it's much more prevalent there, which is yeah. interesting. Well, it might have to do with diets and... Birth control pills. But the age oh, of okay. onset has, has no, no. changed over. Yes, the age of yeah. puberty have changed. Yeah, but that but nature hasn't changed. That's got to do with reasons in nature. Yes, we're not saying that. there's no, you can't apply scientific logical reasons to it. But the point is, from what they had empirical evidence to, to what happens today, it has changed. So you're right, there might be applicable reasons why it has changed. That's a different question. We're not discussing the why. 
But there are things that halacha states, and, and it's applied to halacha, which has changed. Another thing is, in the times of the Talmud, um, nursing women would, would get pregnant. Today, I mean, sorry, nursing women could not, would not get pregnant. Today, we see that it's different. Okay, okay. Yeah. Rebel, and this is something based you, on the empirical evidence. It, it, it sounds it, like saying that nature changes is a way of saying the rabbis were wrong. Uh-huh. Oh, they didn't know it was more no. like it. You know, no, but they didn't know. This is something you can't deny the fact. Nursing women didn't get pregnant. They, they no, they didn't know later on. They were saying they don't like this dead fish. Maybe there was a fish back then. They didn't recognize it? What does that mean? It's hard to say. a little pregnant. No, I'm saying that's ridiculous. You can't not recognize someone getting pregnant. Yeah, you can. The, the examples you're using are, are still pertinent today, and uh, maybe, and most likely, uh, uh, it was uh, generalized before, because generally, if they're nursing, there's this chance of Listen, pregnancy. Listen, am I saying generally it's possible? Generally, the cycles are once a month. But it wasn't general, that's the point. Well, it was I mean, a majority. Based on their evidence, they, they ruled halachically, like I'm saying, let's say, about the period. But the next month, they can... Now, another thing is, a woman, it was, did not, it's not only pregnancy. They didn't, she didn't get out for period. Today, we know that's not true. Women nurse, they get their period three months after birth. That, there was no period. That's something you can't deny. You can't make a mistake. Either she's getting a period or she's not getting a period. Well, right? I so they would have come to me two days late and thought they were pregnant. But, 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 but now. But not pregnant. Don't have period. We don't have we don't have to apply today's science to three thousand to two thousand years ago or fifteen hundred years ago. We're, there was a perception, rightly or wrongly, correct. The perception and the the Jewish law halacha was based on that perception and understanding. Absolutely. No, that's not what was that's that's the question on the table. You're well, you're answering maybe one answer, but we're saying there are some things that clearly, unequivocally, med- medicine will tell you they have changed over the years. If you look at old medical books, they'll tell you. This was the fact, meaning some things are theory. medical books were wrong. No, but I'm saying some things can be theory, some things are fact. The point that yeah. science has not changed. So gentle Nature has <laughs> not changed. Of course, like Torah-wise, we suppose, and, and, and Torah-wise, we, we accept that it has not changed. Whether there's been change in diet, whether there's been change yes, so there, in uh, their explanations, uh, exactly. or things there's like no that. question that women's cycles are based there, on diet. Nothing has changed. There's no question, medicine will tell you today, that women's cycles are based on diet, they're based on many other aspects, sleep cycles, a lot of things, stress levels, so I don't think it's so crazy to say that then they, you know, That's there was a period. That's why they say even so miracle, a miracle, a miracle sometimes, I don't know if they say a miracle does change science, or a miracle still fits within science. Well, that's another thing we'll discuss. So Shelley's being very nice. I have a question about the Gemara, the context of the yes. Gemara. I mean, I mean, it's an odd Gemara. I mean, you have a rabbi quoting a fisherman as a <laughs> source for science. Mm-hmm. I wonder in what context that. No fish. Yeah, but I wonder in what context that Gemara exists. It's just out of the blue, nothing before, nothing no, after. No, it's the context is discussing here. This tractate is about what you're what you're allowed to do on Chalamud or not. Chalamud is the intermediate days of the holiday. That's what the tract is discussing. Discusses about starts off discussing can you pickle fish for after the holiday. Um, that's the context, and then it discusses different aspects of fish. It mentions what's the best way to eat it, health, the healthiest way to eat it, salt it, broil it, etc. Okay, so, so I'm willing to concede, and I don't know if this is correct, that the rabbis were good empiricists. In other words, they made observations that, by and large, they were accurate. So for, the, for them to be quoting a fisherman. 
when it would be obvious, you, either if people ate fish that was near rotting, either got sick or they didn't. It's just a weird thing. I mean, uh, did they believe what the fishermen were saying? Yeah, but or that's they what I'm saying. So some things, like they couldn't, if you know, if, if obviously everyone got sick who eats spoiled fish, so then they weren't blind. The rabbis, right? That's exactly so right. I'm saying they did it also. They ate it. So, so clearly, something was different about their building cabinets. A, a carpenter or a PhD in engineering. It's a Good question. But a, a fisherman, you know, right away, the rabbis were not stupid. A fisherman says, rot, eat fish. Uh, does this guy have a, a different agenda here? Or is he trying no, to sell rot? They're saying, eat old fish. And clearly they didn't get didn't, sick because didn't otherwise they would have said, Talmud would have said, that's ridiculous. People. They say, eat <laughs> fish just before it gets rotten. Right. How do you know that, you, that the, the best fish is rotten yet? Because you don't get sick. Anyway, the truth says, is, this if is you a. Get sick, it's too late. But if you eat it and it's fine, oh, you can take all my old fish. It's the, good for you. The truth <laughs> is, it's a funny gemara, and I think you're right in that sense. Is why are we even addressed? Like, who cares? Exactly. Why is toast? Why does it even bother toast? Exactly. So we quoted some fisherman, and he was wrong. Oh, you're right. Why is that relevant exactly. to halacha? So, but Tosa seems bothered by the contradiction to contemporary medicine and science. So number one, he says, Shem Nishtam. It changed, just like, and what you see also Tosa's worldview as all the other medicine in Shas. He's basically lumping it all together and saying, we don't have a problem. There's medicine all over the Talmud, and it changed today. That's his worldview. Is Tosa considered part of Chazal or not? No, it's post. I mean, Chazal, when we say Chazal, means Talmud. Talmud. Tosa is an early authority uh, who is a commentary on Talmud. Right, so he's not Chazal. Right, but he's saying, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, we have five throughout the Talmud contradictions to current medicine. And uh, we know it's not a problem. It's time. Medicine changes. That I think we all agree to a certain extent. The cures, however you want to look at how medicine changes, either because they made mistakes or because they came up with new cures they didn't have before or whatever the case is. But that's for sure. We all agree that medicine throughout the ages have changed. So he says, number one is, Shem Shabashas. It changed like all the other medicine we find in China. They don't work today. The Talmud says take a cat's ear and uh, burn it and uh, put it on the hemorrhoids, or whatever the case is, and that will cure hemorrhoids. That doesn't work today. So, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. Well, Things change. What? I don't know anyone that's tried it. Maybe it does work. What is it? What Be is surprised. It? No, no I, I just made something up. What, what was it? Uh, you made it up. I'm saying cure for hemorrhoids, you know, take a cat's... Uh, we read about dog, eating dog liver, though. He was talking about a cure for hemorrhoids. Yeah, take a what? Take a cat's ear. Whatever, I just made it up. Just oh. Don't take it, uh, don't try that at home. Oh, Shema, <laughs> says Tosis. Shema, Naharos the Bavel, Malilat faces. I could give you another explanation. Maybe the rivers in Bavel were, had a different um, texture for their fish. Some, they were better rivers, and somehow the fish you know, didn't spoil, or whatever the case is. Oh. That's right, or he says that's number two, I don't know how they translate that in English. Um, perhaps this has changed, like the Talmudic medicines. Alternatively, perhaps the rivers of Bavo were better. The Yeshim Farshim, he says, others say, the Kivra Lobachlal Dugim. Lobachlal Dugim, Mary. The Shame Dug. There was a certain specific fish that was called a Kivra. It's not going, it's not saying in general uh, principle for fish. This one fish, the name of the fish, because the language the Gemara used was Kivra. So he's saying it doesn't mean fish in general. It means there was one specific species that tasted best, you know, after a few days when it wasn't fresh. Shame dog, shishmo kivra. And it was different than all of the fish. All of the fish we see. So we don't know what species that was. 
we have no idea what species that was. And the Gemara is talking, talking about a specific species. Kalbasar, he says, like we find in other places. Um, so, so the point is, Tosus giving three. The first thing is you, that you see Tosus needs to reconcile. He seems bothered by it and has to reconcile the Talmud's statement of of uh, science, let's call it, with contemporary times. That's number one. So there, we have to do that. That's, a be- that's again, different. I just want to point out, very different than the Catholic Church and other religions where we know they're threatened by science and therefore we don't try to reconcile science. And it's irrelevant. Science is, should be banned. But you so pointed out that that's number one. He chose to go after this particular science. Hundreds of years went by when everyone else ignored it. Who's he? Uh, Tosafot. I mean, Tosafot, that they they chose to... Um, yeah, that's my point. So you see that... But hundreds of years have gone by when no one else chose to... Yeah, I, I don't know if no one else, but I'm saying at okay. least on the side of, he's on the side of the dumb. So that's number one. I just want to point out number two. So then he gives three different worldviews. He, he feels like it has to be reconciled, which is an important statement in, in theology, that we need to reconcile Chazal with science. Number two is... And then he has three worldviews of how to reconcile. Either in Ishtan Teva, which again, according to many, is usually used as a last resort, that nature changed. Um, we don't know the answer, and therefore that's nature changed. Or the other two things he just tries to say, that's a different science, it's a specific species, by reconciling the science with the Talmud. Yes? So I have to defend the other religions for just yes. a second. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so we say, well, you know, we... We recognize that science changes, and we have to change halacha. No, I'm not saying change halacha. I didn't say that. Okay, we have to. We have, we have to, to recognize reconcile. We have to try to reconcile halacha with science. So why is that? But why is point. that different than? Uh, and we do it through either a Talmud, Talmudic argument or a responsa. Uh, the Catholic Church does it through encyclicals from the Pope and his buddies, and uh, so why? Why are we any different than the other religions that have a somewhat different but similar mechanism for updating their religion? So again, so we're not updating. We don't. Yeah, think we are. No, no, we're, we're not updating, updating religion, our no, interpretation. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, but that's. And, and that's what, we're get and that's that what the Pope does in an encyclical. He says, "Well." I, I've read it, and I and no, but we that's have misunderstood called changing their minds. Bit. Meaning, we used to say kill Jews because they killed Jesus, but now we're going to say they're not Jews are nice people. They really all the things we've been saying the last thousand years, we're changing our mind. That's here. Now we say Pope John the twenty third. Pope John the twenty third. Okay, well, I, I don't want to get all on a tangent. I'm just, I want to explain Judaism. I, I love other religions. If I might I love I, explain I, Judaism. When you look at the yeah, case Galileo, they rejected the possibility. Right, that's, that's, my, the, that's number one. Here the, here they were the intimidated by science. The there, they're just saying no. It yeah, can't that's be right. a key point. I think meaning we are not scared of science. We're, that's number one. And again, when I and I discussed this with you after class last week, we are not changing. Torah is absolute, which we're going to talk about. It might be the applicability of that halachic principle, how that works. Um, or here, let's say we have, we no, it's, meaning we're not, science is not going to change Torah. And that's and a key thing I think you said. There's two ways to look at this, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, is do we have to reconcile Torah with science, or do we have to reconcile science with Torah? And that's, I think, the key difference. Judaism, we're not changing the Torah. Torah is absolute. We, we, if you believe God wrote the Torah, and Chazal had the right to interpret the Torah, and therefore the system is, they get the right, and we'll discuss that extensively soon. So now, the question is now, 
What do you do when you have a clear fact that seems to contradict either Torah or science? Fact. Yes, um, or empirical fact. You see something that doesn't fit with the Torah. So we're going to see there's different ways to handle it. But the point is, we we're not changing. We never change the Torah. What we're doing is we're either changing the application. Let's say if something new comes up. So now. It's the same halachic principle as we discussed many times. Let's say brain death, and this I heard from Baruch Brody. You know, let's say, uh, you know, in, in the times of the Talmud, they didn't have uh, resuscitation. There was no way to resuscitate. So if someone, if you found someone who, you put a feather under his nose, though the feather didn't move, that's it, he's dead. Yeah. Right? Today, right, so now, so some say, so you can't bring a proof from there that brain death is dead because that's breathing, station of breath, because now we have uh, ventilators and now we have... Boy. Resuscitation efforts are totally, Allah got it wrong of the time of death. No. So, Bar- what Baruch Brody explained to me was no, it's not Allah got it wrong. The principle is the same. If, you see, if the Talmud was saying, assuming that's the, the Talmudic fact, that it was saying cessation of breath is time of death, so it means the complete cessation of breathing, irreversible cessation of breathing. Yeah. So, today that we have new methods of keeping someone breathing, uh, you know, alive breathing longer, or resuscitation efforts that they didn't have then. So we're not changing the halacha. It's the principle is the same. It's complete, uh, irreversible cessation of breath. We're just applying the new technology to this halachic principle. So that's not changing halacha. That's you're taking the same halachic principle, and now we have new technology that didn't exist in the time of the Talmud, or new medicine, which fits, we're just now reapplying to the same halachic (coughs) principle. The halachic principle doesn't change. That's number one. Number two is... We have better feathers. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's really what it is. So now we know that it is reversible. We have methods to make it irreversible. What they thought was irreversible, today is reversible. Right. But it's not that they made a mistake, that they didn't have the Hamilton, they didn't have uh, mouth-to-mouth, whatever methods we have today. Electric shock to, to resuscitate the person. So that was the time of death. So it's not the time of death is changing, it's, the again, applying the principle, irreversible cessation of breathing. That's number one. Number two is... Well, what the question was? <laughs> uh, I was talking about other oh, the Pope, other right? So let's get back to the Pope. So th- this <laughs> not, number two is, and I think that's what Shelley's pointing out. Also, the, the the Catholic Church was scared of science. They they banned science, and that's what we mentioned last week. Some Jewish circles they tried to do that, but only to placate the, the Christians because they want to look like you know the Christians that we are against the Church or whatever the case was, but. But Judaism is not scared of science because, again, we have to. We, if you believe the Torah is immutable, then now you have a scientific problem. Okay, so we have to figure out. There are different methods that we'll discuss is how to reconcile the science with Torah. But we don't have to reconcile the Torah with science. So we're not changing the Torah. On the contrary, we're either going to say there's a few options that we'll discuss soon. I don't want to give away the punchline and how to reconcile it. But to the Torah never changes. And I think, by the way, this might be a source which he, he says, and I'm not sure. Agree with him. If I can find it, I'll read it to you. You know, the Torah uh, um, doesn't change uh, with um, inspection and uh, understanding. It's the Koran uh, that doesn't change literally. The Torah doesn't change literally either. No, but it's not true. The Torah is it are interp- That's and I think that might be a key point, which will answer your question. Meaning, yeah. the Catholics don't have what we have, which is what we call the Torah Shabbat Pet which is a Torah Shabbat Peh, meaning yeah. they have the same New Te- the the Old Oro. Testament we yeah. have, but they, many times, as we know, let's say an eye for an eye, translate it just literally. They don't have the concept where we have a tradition of how this is interpreted. 
by the by Chazal, which was given orally at Sinai. We believe traditional mm-hmm. Judaism believes this was so. Meaning, so our interpretations are also, um, in a certain sense, as we're going to talk about, maybe immutable. Not medicine, but yeah, but many it times the way Chazal sure interpret the verse. One second, I want to point this out. So Catholicism didn't have that. So they had. So the Church took a view on something. And then all of a sudden they realize scientifically they're wrong, so now they're stuck. You know, it's meaning they took a specific view, you know, or they translated the Torah literally, so you, there's no way out of it. When you're dealing with um, a Torah Shabbat Pes, so now there's a few ways out, as we're going to see. So in a certain sense, it was, we weren't as intimidated by science. The, the, the rabbis were better at creating loopholes than the Pope. <laughs> that's for sure. I'll put it a different way. It, it, Judaism actually makes science possible for many reasons. Mm-hmm. One, before Judaism, before Sinai, everyone thought events were cyclical. There's no progress. just went round and around, and you die, you come back, whatever. Secondly, because uh, we're supposed to partner with God in this world, it's, we're obligated to understand this world. It's not just optional. You have to understand the way this world works, which means science is critical to understand it. Mm-hmm. It's part of Judaism, whereas I think, rightly, Catholicism, you have an infallible pope on theological ma- matters, but still, the idea that you got a guy, you, you can't argue with him on certain things, right away kind of defeats the major approach to science, which is just because you say so, doesn't mean it's true. Like Einstein said, uh, God doesn't play uh, you know, Game. What is it? Yeah. The dice with the universe. It, you have to understand what God meant when. And he also, Maimonides said, in order to understand the, the uh, Torah, you have to understand astronomy, Science, yeah. Yeah. physics, and man. Yeah, well, what were you saying? What happens if in the Talmud, in the discussion, Rabbi Yankel says this, and Rabbi Yosef says this, and we rule according to Rabbi Yankel? A thousand years later, we discovered that Rabbi Yosef was actually. Ah, so we're going to talk. That's, that's actually a case we're about to discuss. That exact. Scenario seems like that was the and we're gonna, we're gonna get George, uh, yeah. just the Mishnah or the Gemara also. Well, the Mishnah is the black letter law of Torah Shabbat. The Gemara ex- ex- is explaining really great letter. The Mishnah, Rabbi, yeah. When you introduced today, you said Talmud, not Torah, and that yes. still holds. No, I'm saying our discussion is Talmud. Torah is much easier because Torah we can't. We can't say maybe it's just right. medicine. Maybe they got it wrong. Torah, you clearly can't say. Rabbis, maybe. stick of everything goes back to Torah, and if it doesn't, you can change the whole religion. Yes, uh, yes, hundred percent. Agree. Thank you. <laughs> okay, now I just want to read you from him again. I don't. Nec- I wouldn't necessarily say it like this, but I'm not sure I agree. But I'll just read you because you brought it up about Christians. What defending Christians? Oh, I thought you were doing this. Yeah, I said like this. He says the war between religion and science. This is an introduction to the topic here. So he says, in the Christian world, this is from Rabbi Meisman, the book is called Torah Chazal Science. In the Christian world, religion and science have often been perceived as being, quote-unquote, at war with one another. This has led to great confusion in the minds of many Jews who suppose the relationship between Torah and science to be similar. There is, however, a serious and profound difference between the two situations. Christianity believed in the Bible, but did not have a Torah Shabbat Peh to explain how it was to be understood. Consequently, in interpreting the Bible, Christianity tended to wed itself to whatever theories happened to be in vogue at the time by canonizing them as fundamental tenets of faith. This led to com- conflict when those tenets were found to be at odds with later discoveries and the theories developed to explain them. So he's quoting uh, Andrew Dickinson White's A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology 
in Christendom, written in 1896. 1896. Okay, the most famous example of this phenomenon is the battle which took place when um, the how do you pronounce it? Ptolemy, 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 Ptolemy geocentric view of the universe began mm -hmm. to be challenged by the Copernican heliocentric view. Copernican system, and he goes through that whole thing. In the Jewish world, by contrast, there were those who opposed the heliocentric view and others who were accepting of it. It was two opinions. We always have two opinions. So like you're saying, you saw it, that's two opinions. Well, yeah, that's another opinion. You're right, you're right. We got no problem with that. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so he goes on to see, he says, so the reason for the difference in attitude is simple. The Baal HaMesorah, that means the people, the holders of the tradition, so to speak, that we believe was handed down from generation generation from Sinai, saw no indication in the Torah Shabbat that the acceptance of one or the other view was an important issue. So this is not something, in this particular argument, he's saying wasn't important to us. If it's not relevant to Allah, we don't care, you want to believe it. It's, it's not. Um, he says, most of the conflicts with with with, with which the Christian world has had to grapple are simple non-issues for Jews. Torah Shabbat offered a profound and true way of understanding the Torah that precludes many of the errors into which others have fallen. A Jewish scholar may believe modern cosmology to be mistaken, but he's not respond with the creation science that tries to spin back to the facts. So, so here he's, he has a little agenda, just to be honest with this rabbi, which is that, again, this book was written as a counter to a more subjective book that's saying that the rabbis could get it wrong. He's of the, this book is of the opinion the rabbis can't get it wrong. Um, so he's sort of going, addressing that. No wonder you spent money on that book. <laughs> Rather, he looks into the Torah Shabbat Peh to see why things appear as they do. I mean, again, we have to define, we have to always measure science against the Torah, not Torah against the science. One should never confuse Christian fundamentalism with Jewish adherence to the plain meaning as clarified through the tools of Torah Shabbat Peh. So, he's, you know, he's, he's making a clear distinction between we're not... Fundamentalists, we don't say, you know, it's, we, we, we want to work with science. We want to work with the world, and we don't ha we're not intimidated by it. Um, so, and, and we'll discuss the different views as we start. So, so let's start um, with, let's move on down to number nine here, which is the most extreme view that I found in the early authorities. So again, we're going to discuss, this is, I wanted to present the different views that we find in early Rishonim, what we call the Rishonim, explaining contradiction between science and Talmud, and up until contemporary authority. So, basically, this this is the main discussion which I which started me on this topic to begin with for myself. I've never um, actually dealt, you know, really done the topic in depth until recently, starting for this class, and I'm still in the middle of it, so we haven't have a conclusion yet, but. Uh, the point is, so the, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm learning the laws of Trefa. I mentioned last week, Trefa is basically, Torah talks about animals that are terminally ill are non-kosher uh, to start with. Well, even if they're a kosher species, did everything correctly. If you find any type of terminal illness, someone is doing, needs to come in. Yeah, they're in. Um, any type of terminal illness in an animal, um, that, and we'll see, that's specific to this list, Automatically, the animal's not kosher. This is a book which actually deals, I mean, just to show you how complicated learning this topic is, this is a book. Um, sort of like a... So what is an eye for? Because you need to know, uh, basically, complete animal uh, anatomy for everything, and to understand all the... You know, this is a whole book um, just on this one chapter in the Talmud, dealing with all types of 
um, internal organs showing you, for example, uh, uh, growths on lungs and what's considered a growth that you think might be terminal, etc. Okay, so if you're a physician, maybe you'll understand a lot better than I. There's videos. It's a very complicated topic. Um, um, the problem is, in this chapter, it begins with a list of 18 specific uh, categories of trefa. That means 18 categories of illness. That, that's the, this is the authoritative list. And anything that's on that list automatically is not kosher. Anything that's not on that list is automatically, you, don't, you can assume it's fine. Even, so that, and as we saw the Rambam, I think two weeks ago or last week, Maimani says, we don't care. Even though a doctor today will tell you this animal can live. The doctor that's on, a, an animal that's on that list, that has the illness on that list, it's not terminal. doctor says we have a cure for it today. We don't care. It's still not kosher. And even an animal that uh, has a new terminal illness that's not on that authoritative list from the Mishnah, we don't care. If, if it's terminal, you can shecht it and eat it, you're fine. Okay, so the question is clearly now, the, the, and the Talmud says, the sign seems to imply the sign of something, whether it's a trade or not, will it live for 12 months? That's the, that's the authoritative, that's the, the measure, that's the litmus test, is if the animal's alive. So this was a question written to the Rajba. The Rajba is an acronym, Shlomo Benaderet. He lived in 13th century Spain, um, a very highly regarded authority within Halacha. Um, off-quoted. He has in many volumes of his fancy. He has a commentary on all of Talmud. He has uh, other books. So a very interesting and, and authoritative figure in Jewish history. And he, someone wrote him an actual question where they had a cow that had what's called the Yisera. Well, on that list, actually, the Talmud says, uh, it's not on the list, but the Talmud says any organ that we talk about, if it's missing, it would be terminal on the animal. So if th you have an extra one of those organs, it also is considered terminal. Okay, that's what the Talmud says. So it means if you have, let's say, uh, if the foot is amputated in those days, so that would make it terminally ill, above a certain point on the leg, of a cow's leg. So if the cow has four legs, so we view the, f the uh, f sorry, five legs, how many legs of the cow? Five legs. So we view the extra leg as it's, if it's missing, and therefore the animal's trafed. Or let's say you have an extra liver. I don't know, or extra, right, something, internal organ, which has an extra, or the, the, the uh, lung an has an extra lobe, which if that lobe was missing from the lung, it would be considered trefa. So now that it has an extra lobe, which seems not so, it's not so uncommon, so then that animal is also trefa. That's called the Ysera, what we call an extra. So this guy had a Ysera cow. He had a cow that had five legs, or whatever the case was. And the cow was living a good, happy life. It was, a, it was past the 12 months. And he wrote to the Rajma, so can I shech this cow and eat it? And you have to put it into the economic context also when you, in those days you raised your cows and you had a ra you know, in your backyard and you raised it for many years. It would be a big economic loss when you deem a cow a trif. Okay, so, so, that was, so that was the question posed to, uh, to the Rajma. I have a yes. question. So you raised the economic issue, so he's got, he's got a cow that's trafe is never going to be able to make any money on it. Or eat it. Right. Can't eat it. Right. Can't, yeah. can't sell it. Right. Well, well sell it to non-Jews. Sell it to non-Jews. Be cheaper. Is he required now to continue feeding it and keep it alive and nurse it along? Or can he say, Psh, that damn cow isn't go. worth anything to me. 
and he's taking the food from my other cows and sustenance. And Can shoot I just it to, yeah. shoot that damn thing and get get out from under that? Shoot it and it's extra yeah, well, expense. Well, uh, yeah, we have no problem. Again, it has to be a, a better cause. If Meaning, I mean, it has to be a cause to shoot it. It can't just be... Well, this is an economic cause. Can there be so just that, an economic yes, cause? Yes, I believe so. Meaning it's no different than uh, they just started on NPR this morning. They're shooting, they're allowing the first grizzly hunt near Yellowstone. I don't know where. Because, uh, you know, in 40 years. So they're just killing these animals because they're a danger to because other animals. It, because so, it's so a lot like... It's a road death. It's a lot like hospice. You basically have to certify that the patient has less than six months to live yeah. in order for Medicare to right. pay for hospice. But every once in a while, one of them does live. Yeah, one of them lives and... Right, but so the question is, so 100%, so again, but the, the, the leaving your question out there, that's a different question of whether you can kill or not. So there's a concept called Sar Balichayim, which means we don't cause undue pain even to animals. It's a question of it's biblical or medical, the prohibition, but that's a separate issue, not for now. I think we probably discussed it in the past. Um, we'll do it when we come to rodeo in February. We'll, we'll okay. deal with that <laughs> issue. Um, so, but that, so that leaving that aside, and that's questionable whether what <coughs> what criteria would be necessary in order to just kill an animal. Although by many say killing an animal is not a violation because it's only if you not killing and you pain you're putting it in the pain. You kill it, obviously there's going to be some pain, but it's going to get out of the pain rather quickly. So that's a different question, not for now, but. Um, but in general, the, the problem here is, and this is something that's going to be discussed with every. We have the Talmud seems to give a working definition of terminal, as you're saying, just like for Aspis. The working definition of the Talmud is will it live 12 months or not? We have to ascertain that. Now, the question is now I have a cow that uh, we're saying, like the cow that wouldn't die. It's 16 months later, and it's still walking around. So, can I now, does that prove that this is an exception to the rule, and therefore now I can eat it? Or does that prove that Chazal were wrong? In their in their assessment of this animal, that this that this illness causes is terminal, or not. So how do we view that? So he's going to again. The economic the issue might be just the opposite. You know, we're not talking about a, a ranch with forty thousand head of cattle. We're talking about a guy who might have one cow, right. and, and the economic right. pressure might be on the rabbi to say, yeah, it's okay, it's kosher, right. because 100%. they need the money. So we usually we try not to bring economics into halacha, but fact of life is no I'm saying if there's we will do when there's a few opinions and there's a lenient opinion and it's an economic issue we'll, we might say you can rely on a lenient opinion in this situation now they're not going to change the Torah for economics but if there's two opinions well, isn't the story about the egg and uh, a poor man brings an egg you know, a, a bunch of rabbis sitting around students and uh, people bring eggs and saying don't sit around you know, eggs and they say no that one's no good that one's no good and then a poor guy comes with the same egg and he says that one's okay, and they, they rabbi tells the students. I don't story of him, but, the, but yeah, but there's no question. Meaning, when there's different opinions, we can go for economic reasons. We'll, we'll allow you to go with the leading opinion sometimes, but we're not going to change the halacha. No, two opinions the halacha, so we'll say you can rely on the leading opinion. That happens often. Okay, so now, so let's let just read this case together. Shlomo, there it. Um, an animal was found to have an extra aver yiteret from one of those. Uh, what's yeah, that? Aver. Aver means an organ, aver, an extra aver. organ. Yeteret means extra. From one of those averim, one of those organs, which renders the animal a trefa. Uh, what is a yeteret? Extra. Yoter. Yoter uh, means... Uh, an aver? Aver means organ. Yoter, yoter means extra. Extra. Oh. Okay. It was clarified that 12 months had passed. 
Would we say that since 12 months passed, it is not a treifa and it is kosher? For Chulim 58, page 58, that's the tractate that deals with, says that a treifa cannot live 12 months. That was the question that was posed to the rabbi. And this is paraphrasing it. It's not a real translation. So he says, although I have seen and heard that some permit this and are lenient, so the guy who wrote it was living in Toledo, uh, Spain, if I remember, not Toledo, Ohio. And, uh, and uh, he wrote to the Rajma who was living in, what's the capital? Madrid. Madrid, Madrid. Madrid. Um, and uh, the Rajma says, I know some rabbis in your town want to permit this and allow you to shecht it. So he says, I, um, uh, although I've seen and heard that some permit the, the writers writing this, the questionnaire, and are lenient, I wish to know your view. So response, he says, if you saw or heard one who was, and this is, by the way, a lengthy response, and I only quoted the punchlines, but it's around three pages long. He says, um, if you saw or heard one who is lenient and permits a yeteret, who permits an animal that has an extra organ, of one of those organs, that really would be a ters, uh, that the Talmud says is terminal, or any other situation, the sage is listed as a trefa, do not listen to him. Do not agree with him. There should not be such in Israel. Ban him. It appears to me that one who permits this is slandering the words of the sages. I will speak with you about this at length, so that a fence will be built for you, for all who tremble at the word of God, and the words of the holy sages of Israel, will not be made like a fence that has been pushed aside, such that a fox could ascend and break through. Um, and, if, and if there is one whose heart disturbs him, saying that perhaps the sages only spoke of the majority of cases, he says, maybe you'll say, when the sages said, as, you, as, as Ed was saying, that this is the definition of terminality, and or this disease is terminal, that's the majority of cases. It's possible there are exceptions to their statement. And, not, and there are animals who might live longer than 12 months with this disease. But they were talking about the general rule. He says, God forbid this happens. This is, what we, this is what we were saying about the periods as well, by the way. Same. All right, well, let's see. Let's see. And most animals experiencing one of the listed trefoots will not survive. Maybe you'll interpret the words of the sages as saying that, but it's, it's going on what we call a rove, but not a clear fact. There are exceptions to the rove. Rove means there's a minority that will live longer. But some of them might survive due to their physical and constitutional strength. And you will have canceled our Mishnah's rule of, quote, none like this live. The Mishnah says very clearly, this, this list of 18 categories of illnesses, none live. It says very clearly. So you can't say it's just the majority of the cases. All of the cases listed by those sages within the view of the Mishnah's author cannot live. And if this were true, that we had seen it live, this would be testimony that the animal is not among the trifles. He says, if you have a problem, you see something that contradicts to this statement of Chazal, then there's something wrong with your glasses. He's saying, it's not Maybe Chazal. You're going to believe. Mirror your eyes. Right. Mirror your lion eyes. <laughs> Further, he says, it would be testimony not only about this animal itself, but it would be testimony, quote-unquote, purifying the animal and its peers, meaning the fact that um, you cannot escape one of two possibilities. Either trifle cannot live, and the fact that this animal lives testifies that it's not a trifle. That's one way to look at it. Or this case resolves, resolves the debates, and this gets to, I think, one of your questions, I'll explain in a second, regarding whether a trefa can live, testify that the law is against the author of the Mishnah, and like the author of the Bright, who stated that a trefa can live. So there are two opinions in the Talmud. One says a trefa can live more than 12 months. The other one says no. A trefa cannot live more than 12 months, and the halacha is like that opinion, that it cannot live more than 12 months. So the Raj was saying, once we rule like that opinion, that is an accepted scientific fact. That is a fact. Once, even though there was two opinions, but once we rule really like the opinion that says a trade will not live more than this is a terminal illness, so now that is halacha, and we don't. And even if science contradicts it, not that we don't care what science is. Science has to have gotten it wrong, or you're, what you're seeing, and he's going to explain 
if you're seeing this animal live past 12 months, maybe the animal got switched. You mixed up your animals. Maybe, uh, maybe you, you didn't. Your, your calendar was wrong. You didn't count the days. It was dark for you know, for a number of days. Clearly, your facts have to be wrong because he's saying it's not possible to have a contradiction between science and Chazal. So you're contradicting. It's an internal contradiction. If you're saying minority opinions count, and sometimes we use them, and sometimes we use a lenient opinion. Here he's saying... No, but here he's saying this is, they're arguing about fact. So now once right. we rule on a fact, normally halach is, is just a legal question. So they're arguing about what the legalities are. So when there's an argument in legalities, we might allow you to be more lenient but, in the legalities. But here they're arguing about fact. Does these 18 categories of illnesses live more than 12 months or not? So he's saying once we rule, like you said, Rabbi Ankala, who who his opinion is, and I don't know, I think it's actually a his opinion is that a, a animal, this animal with this illness will not live more than 12 months. That is the accepted fact, and nothing can change that fact. I understand he's saying that, but is that typical reasoning in Judaism, that if you have minority and majority opinions, the majority opinion is this way, that becomes a fact, or that becomes normally, more Normally, that's what I'm saying. Normally, it's, their, their argument is not about a scientific fact. As a matter of fact, we usually have a principle there can't be an argument about scientific fact because how could you argue? Look, let's look what happened. Do an experiment and figure out what, but what happens. But this is about a scientific right, so that's fact. That's a good so side question. That's a good question. How could they argue about that? Yeah. Um, you know, how could true. there be argument about what the facts are? Let's look and let's, no, let's he's saying, watch animals. He's saying we have, we have different views on the science here and yet the majority opinion establishes the science. That's yes, far-fetched. Yes. That's what he's saying. Yes, very okay. clear. All right. Um, and if he says, and he goes on to say, and if you will reply, what can we do? We have seen the turret of the foot, in this case it was an extra foot, as you saw in the cap, survive 12 months with their own eyes. We saw it. So walking around in West Texas in the barn, in the, in the, on the ranch. So he says, this is what Yeshua ben Levi told Rabbi Yossi ben Uri. So the Gemara itself, what's interesting is the Gemara itself questions it in, in the Talmud there and says, Listen, what about this illness? I've seen, I've seen that uh, this illness is no longer terminal. This Ill- it goes through other illnesses. And he answers him, he says, you depend on that, meaning this is not possible. It's as though you testify that you have seen the impossible. Or there's another cause. That's how the Rajah is interpreting. So, so too, here we ask the witness, how he knows that this animal had in fact survived that period? You're saying, this guy says, I saw it live more than 12 months. Perhaps you forgot or erred. Perhaps you, you were confused regarding the time. Perhaps you confused this animal for another. But it's not possible for him to testify that this animal was in his sights for the entire 12 months. He didn't sit there watching it. So maybe someone came and switched it with another cow. How do you know it's the same cow? You don't know what could happen. Maybe aliens came and, and took it and put another cow in. And if he will strengthen himself in his error and say, no, quote, no, for I love these foreign words, meaning the words of the scientists as opposed to the words of Chazal, that's foreign. This is what I saw and this is what I will follow, end quote. And we will tell him that it's impossible to slander the words of the sages, period. The witness and 1,000 like him should be canceled. If you have 1,000 witnesses saying this is what we saw, we don't care. Rather than cancel one point of the positions agreed upon by the holy Jewish sages, the prophets, students, and uh, prophets and students of prophets, and statements given by Moshe at Sinai. Sure sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how is this response when viewed? Okay. So we'll talk. so so this is one opinion, um, as we're going to see. This this book skewed towards that opinion. That's and an expansion of this response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does the ivory um, mean an internal ever or an external, like an extra? Either, either one. So if there's either an extra one. toe on a paw? Uh, no, no, it's, it's specifically something, organ. again, that if it was missing, 
it would be treif. It's on the list of missing. So an extra, a complete leg that's cut off in those days they oh. was considered that the animal couldn't make, couldn't survive right. because it couldn't hunt, it couldn't do anything. So the animal was not going to survive. How about a missing testicle? Therefore, um, that same thing that if it would be missing would be considered a treif for an extra one. So we'll get to testicles soon, don't worry. Because Everything we know you can do perfect well with one testicle. Well, well, that's actually not true. That's, that's one of the contradictions between science, as we're going to talk about. Moshe Feinstein has an extensive response on this. Um, the Gemara says that if someone has a hole, I believe in the scrotum or te testicle, mm -hmm. I remember, cannot, uh, c um, cannot have children, I believe. And today we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. So Moshe Feinstein discusses that extensively and, and, try and answers that why. The medicine changed, or whatever the case is, we'll get to that in a few weeks. So, okay, okay so good. we'd have to stop here. But th this is opinion number one, which is again the most, I don't want to use the fun word fundamentalist, but clearly this is opinion number one of the Rajba, who was no slouch. He was a Rajba, again, was one of the biggest early authorities, accepted as one of the. But he clearly says, it's, he's not, again, he's not saying, he's, what he's, he's not saying um, we don't have to deal with science. What he's saying is, our job is to deal with Torah. If if you see some empirical evidence different than Kazal, so you have to figure out why that empirical evidence it's got it wrong. Groucho Marx of his time. You know, why the scientific evidence got, got it wrong? You know, you're not. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to try and now. And this Ed, this fits in what you were saying last week. Torah is immutable. We don't change it. We don't care science, uh, medicine, doctors. Nothing scares us. That's his view. Again. As we're going to see, most opinions do not necessarily agree with him. Um, most other opinions. He's extending it to the Talmud. He's saying the Talmud yes, is terrible. Yes. And the question is right. How, how, why would that would be? So there's a few ways, and I'll just give you a preview. There's a few ways to understand it. Meaning, one is just, as we mentioned last week, we have a system of justice, a system just like in American, any Western system of justice. We can't change a system. You can't so have. You can't have different Torahs, meaning because if you have this guy's telling you I saw this, this guy's telling you I saw that, so then you're going to have different laws in different states and different, which is a problematic for a society to have it. So it, it, it's sort of, as you mentioned before, then you're throwing out the whole system because you can't have a system with different rulings for different animals. We have to have one uniform system. That would be one way to look at it. Another way is, and we'll discuss that next week, which is, and he mentions that in the last line, he says, he says, his, his language is statements given to Moshe at Sinai. Meaning, again, the question is: Is everything Chazal said? Do we assume that's Torah Shabbat that was given in the Oral Torah? If you believe it that that that's true, so then it's immutable, just as the Torah is immutable. So we have to take Chazal's word as given at Sinai also. So that would be a um, way to explain what he's saying. Thank you.